Welcome everyone to Live from My Drum Room. It's a pleasure to see you all today. We have a great show in store for you today. We're going to talk about Steve Gad's book, Gad, A Life and Time. And uh, of course, with me, I have Steve Gad. I also have Rob Wallace and Joe Bergamini of Hudson Music. Rob is the owner of Hudson and the producer of the book. And Joe Bergamini is the senior editor at Hudson, and he is the author of the book. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to get right down to it here and get the show on the road. So without any further ado, please welcome three returning champions, Rob Wallace, Joe Bergamini, <laughs> the man himself. Welcome Steve Gadd, everybody. Woo! Happy New Year, everybody. Well, congr- I want to first of all congratulate the three of you on this incredible book that I am enjoying so much. And, and, you know, you can read it cover to cover or you can just sort of jump around a whole bunch through it. You know what I mean? You don't have to, you don't have to read it like from start to finish. You can skip ahead to the transcriptions, look at the photos, the interviews like with Gary Katz and, and the, you know, just all the information that's in here. It's chock full. So great job guys. Thank you. Thanks, John. And, you know, one thing I just wanted to say, you know, this isn't by way of any commercial endorsement or anything, but, you know, we created a Spotify playlist that mirrors the book. And so many people that have written to me say they listen to the playlist as they're reading the book and, you know, obviously going down through the charts and stuff, but it really brings the book to life when you're reading a chapter about, you know, Chick Corea or Ricky Lee Jones, and then you hear, you you put the track on that Steve's talking about and, and the way the track was created or, you know, whatever the, yeah. his, his discussion was on that song. It was really, it's really great. It, it like, it's like a 3d and becomes like a 3d book, you know, it's been, it's been fun. Cause I've had several students come in the last few weeks with the notation book. Um, just show up the lesson with this. So it just has the notation in it and it's working out great. You could just study that. Like you said, John, or if you, if you don't read, you know, we hope that people who don't read, don't be intimidated by the fact that there's sure. notation in there. It's still plenty of in there besides that. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I mean, I, I don't really read much and, and I, I find that there's just so much other stuff in there. I mean, music that is, but, uh, but it, it doesn't deter me at all because there's so much other, I mean, just the pictures, like we talked about the, some of the never be seen, never before seen photos from the Gad family archives are, are to me worth it. You know, they're just beautiful photos. And, um, and so, so guys, so back up a minute, you had great success with Gadiments, um, a book that Steve really, yeah, that Steve, you know, to, to give everybody the backstory, we all know it, but during the pandemic, Steve found himself with free time and he was working on all these exercises with his practice sticks with the rubber tips, started writing them out. And then all of a sudden there's a book and and who better? Yeah. I call, I had been working on it for a while. And when I thought that it, when I really, saw it start taking shape I called Rob and asked if he would be you know interested you know and uh, and then as a result here we are yeah um, we really got into the the uh, the gadaments thing I mean we worked really hard and and uh, and then uh, that was sort of my uh, that was my thing to bring to the table and then uh, you know after we finished gadaments, 
and uh, we really had a nice uh, uh, rapport. You know, we had got into a nice groove working together and knowing each other and becoming better friends. And um, and they, uh, you know, Rob has been talking about doing a book like this for a while. And I've been I've been sort of dragging my feet because yeah, just trying to I didn't know if I if I could, you know, remember a lot of this stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, and up until, you know, up until we started working on it, I, re- I really didn't have the time. So, uh, you know, it, but it we st- they had a lot of stuff in place before we even started working on it. And you know what I mean? So it was like. We 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 hit the ground running. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and they, I mean, they made it very uh, enjoyable, and and it was nice. I was able to you know read you know the story the 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 print and and sort of get it in order of the way I remember it happening. You know what I mean? Which was a big thing for me. Yeah. You know sure. I, yeah. And I, I couldn't have done it alone. And, uh, and these guys were, uh, you know, th- th- it was really their thing. So I appreciate it, you guys. I think you did a great job. Thank you. Uh, Steve, it was a pleasure. Let me just back up. I, I just got to clarify one thing. Before you called me on Gadamitz, Stefano, <laughs> I think Carol called and she said, Rob, you got to help me out here. He's driving me crazy. He's up all night tapping on the kitchen counter with those sticks. Yeah. I said, tell him to call me. Let's see what we can do. We can, yeah. We might so be able thank to. You, I, yeah, yeah, thank you, Carol. Yeah, thank you, Carol. Tell Carol, you know, she started this whole monster. John, John yes, came up with the, uh, with the title. Yes. Gadamant. Yeah. You know, we were asking, I asked him what he thought and he came up with that thing. Yeah. Again, Johnny, all, all, as always. (laughs) A rare moment of me having a good idea, Steve. Oh, it was great. It was great. Thank you. It was brilliant, man. Look at, look at, look at, and and we have a whole clothing line now, you know. I know. It's 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 available worldwide. <laughs> I wear I wear this shirt every day, whether it needs to be in the laundry or not. Uh, yeah, you have to get a few more of them so you can rotate. <laughs> nah, that's sad. Uh, well, uh, you know, it it was a, it was a, you know it took a long time. You know, we we wanted to do it right, and um, you know, after working with Steve, I mean, obviously, you know, he and I go back to, to, to the early 80s Man. when we started doing, you know, the, the first instructional videos. Um, and they they made a, a, a big mark, you know, in the world at the time and in the drumming world. And I just felt that we couldn't do anything of lesser, you know, kind of importance and, and value so, I mean, that was Gadamitz. And, and like Steve said, it really, we, we got in this great kind of comfortable routine. And, you know, we would do these Zoom calls. It, it was so enjoyable to me. Um, Joe would, you know, we would talk a lot about the song selection for the book. Obviously, you know, where do you start on a, you know, 50 right. year career, you know? Um, 
So we try to to really get some of the obvious ones and some of the not so obvious ones that um, we wanted to cover. And the, the the routine was that Joe would would line up a couple of songs and we would do a Zoom call and play the music because Steve hadn't heard a lot of it, maybe some some of it since it was recorded or he he you know last played it live or, you know, I mean, some of the stuff I know had to be 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So he would sit there and listen to it and sort of we, we would watch him enjoying the music. So it, it was really a, a, a very unique experience for me, I know. And I think for Joe, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was just special. And and then to hear the stories about how the you know recordings came together, these, you know, iconic pieces of music. Um, you know, really, um, you know, it was, I felt blessed that we were in a position to do something like this and have Steve put the kind of time in to do it, to make sure it was right, you know, that, that he did. Yeah, that was the key. I, and, and I'd made a note about that, just the fact that, you know, obviously it's a retrospective on Steve's career, um, but you have the participation of Steve himself, which isn't often the case, as you know, you know, people write books about famous people and there's always that question of like, well, did it really happen that way? And, you know, is it just the authors? Um, he's talked to a few people who might've been there and then, you know, it's maybe a little suspect, but to have Steve, you know, they're sort of recalling these sessions too. And, and, the, and people like Gary Katz, who was at the Asia session, I mean, that's what makes this book so special and unique. And, uh, and and just one more thing I'll add too, just the fact that it's a retrospective on Steve's entire career up until, you know, a few months ago, basically. And, uh, and also it's a great documentation of the New York session scene, the New York music scene, which was such a vital, important part of history. Um, and it's also told in there with, you know, Tony Levin and, and chick and and uh you know all the you know all the different the guys and stuff all the bands that steve worked with during that time so well done man you know one little story and i want steve to talk um <clears throat> but one one amazing thing that happened was you know, at, at a certain point you know we were kind of midway in the project probably and, and i said to to steve and carol you know it would be wonderful if you don't mind, if it's okay, you're comfortable with it, you know, to reach out to James Taylor to see if he would, you know, write a little something, write his thoughts about Steve, you know, whatever. And um, they said, yeah, you know, Carol gave me the, the contact person, James's office. And so long story short, you know, she said, yes, James is interested. You know, when do you need it? I said, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks went by. She emailed back. She said, you know, this happened about four or five times. James was on the road and he was doing different things around the country, traveling a bunch. And then one day I get an email, you know, with J what James wrote. It was five pages long. And I, I was sitting yeah. there like floored. I was you know, like speechless. And I said, wow, you know, this is incredible. And, you know, I showed it to Joe. We were both like, you know, kind of, you know. <coughs> gasping for for breath on this you know, obviously James Taylor's a, a good writer you know yeah, he has yeah. a way with words so I, I wrote back and I said would it be okay this is such a perfect you know introduction to the book 
And um, would it be okay if we, we, you know, put it up front in the book? Because it's, you know, it was, it was lengthy. And she, uh, James wrote back and said, yeah, you know, hers, his office said, as long as you don't, you know, use his name, you know, we didn't put it on the cover. A lot of people don't even know it's, it's in the book, but there's this beautiful written piece from, from James and everybody that, that we reached out to Eddie Gomez, you know, I mean, on and on and on. We're so, um, thrilled to be involved and, and spend time. You know, we did a bunch of Zoom calls with different guys, Tony Levin. It, you know, it was really an amazing, amazing thing and a testament to their their friendship and love of Steve to, you know, yeah. to be willing to put the time in to make sure we got it right. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Well said. And and the, the forward, uh, you know, just James's, what James wrote is just so incredible. It's so beautiful and so well-written and so, you know, it's so James, obviously. And uh, just the way he talks about Steve and, and yeah, it's, it's great. It's, there's so much of that in this book. I, I really, I really appreciate everybody that, that uh, <clears throat> took the time, you know, uh, and, uh, and became a part of this. Uh, we all really appreciate their, their uh, contribution. Yeah. Steve, what was it like for you? In, you know, when we were doing those Zoom sessions, I'm sorry to jump in here, John, with a no, question. No, no, this is you great. Know, this is um, great, yeah. What was it like for you to hear some of this music, you know, in what I would assume, you know, a lot of that stuff was in, you know, a really long time. What did it feel uh, like listening back to it? It was, uh, it, it was fantastic. I, you know, I don't really listen to that stuff. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm listening to, uh, what I'm working on now or, you know, whatever, what, what Carol likes to listen to. And, um, but, uh, so I don't really listen to the old stuff, but man, you know, it was like, I heard that, the, that, uh, America, the beautiful, <clears throat> I forgot that we even, that was a, like a bonus track on on the here and now, and I had forgotten all about it, you know. Um, and uh, boy, when I heard it, when you guys play, when we listened to it together, it was just, I was just real proud of it, man. I mean, it's those guys. Uh, you could really, you could really feel their, uh, you know, Richard T's favorite piano player was. Ray Charles and we 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 copied that Ray Charles arrangement, which I happen to think should be the national anthem. I think it's much uh, it, it sums it up a lot better than the Star Spangled Banner. Um, but uh, yeah, I I was uh, surprised and uh, and very proud too, and really proud of that. It's something I have forgot about. Um, that was great. For everyone listening, that I just want to say that's the the Gad Gang here and now record that that Steve's referring to that the bonus track, the America the Beautiful. Fantastic, yeah. And I was just going to add that, you know, knowing knowing Rob and Joe, there aren't any better people than these two guys to kind of set the foundation for something like this, Steve. And I know you'll agree with that too. That and having worked with Rob on many projects, where, you know, I'm sure he made it pretty easy for you and you know in terms of you know presenting sort of the outline of what they wanted to do and making suggestions for music which because rob you know his his catalog probably better than most people so 
I'm sure you were, and, and Joe, you as well, were able to come in and suggest, you know, songs. And I, and I was so happy to see some of the songs that in the book transcribed that, um, I think tend to get overlooked. Like we talked about, like do the hustle, um, which I think is just such a, it's such a hip, hip tune, such a hip drum part. Um, and you know, it, it maybe because it's a disco song, people sort of overlook that, but it's way beyond anything like that. It's a, it's a serious piece of music with, you know, it's the stuff band. So, you know what I mean? Come on. It was and, a lot uh, of fun. It was a lot of yeah. fun. I remember those sessions with, with Van McCoy and, uh, and he, he did his own things. And then he did a lot of producing of other bands that of other singers and stuff that, that stuff was the rhythm section on. So there was a, we had a lot of fun yeah. in those days. We, we talked about, Steve, um, you know, the, the, the years that went by in, in that very short span of years, you, you did like every possible style of music you could play, right? In New York, you were on that, but then stuff was happening and, and chick was happening and you were just doing so many things. It's, it's amazing to see it. Ha it was like really condensed period of time there. It was crazy. The Paul Simon stuff, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Paul Simon, uh, Carly Simon, you know, uh, yeah, um, the CTI stuff, the, oh, CTI. the, the CTI stuff, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff that uh, I did, you know, things that Phil Ramone was producing, you know what I mean. So it was just like some Kenny Loggins stuff I was working on, and and he did some things with Quincy, and we did uh, Sinatra, and uh, and uh, did some stuff for the Wiz, you know. I mean, it was like it was a great period for music. Yeah. All kinds of things happening, style-wise, um, and uh, and I was, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be a part of that stuff, and 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 uh, lucky enough to to like all the different styles and and uh, try to play them the best that I could because the music inspired me, you know. Yeah. And, and and you hit the nail on the head, too, when you were saying all the different styles and genres where, um, you know, you weren't just a guy that played pop tunes or, I mean, you were playing everything. And I was going to ask Steve, and, and I don't know if, if you can recall, and maybe Rob and Joe might even have a better idea, but do you remember what maybe one, one of the first, like, commercially successful songs you played on, like a like a like a hit song that we'd consider like a... AM radio, sort of. I, I think it was 50 Ways. Well, I, I, one. yeah, I was going to say, dude, the hustle was even before that, though. Oh, I mean, maybe that, then it was the, yeah. the then it maybe was, it could have been the hustle. I, I mean, been. okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I just, um, there were a few songs, you know, there were some songs back in those days that I recorded that were being played a lot on, yeah. on the yeah. radio. And uh, I, I remember, yeah, the 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 hustle was that was a, that was a good one, and uh, Fifty Ways was played a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I remember that. Uh, yeah, crazy times, man. I, it was like um, good time for me. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had a lot of fun. I got a lot of good memories. I made a lot of <clears throat> good friends, and I'm still friends with the ones that are still around. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, we had a really good interview. Um, one of the last people we interviewed, Steve, was Tony Levin. And, um, you know, 
I, I just want to say on this broadcast that, um, Steve, to hear you say what you said really means a lot to me. I mean, to come in, you and Rob have known each other a long time, to come in as a writer and, you know, try to write your story with you, you know, super high-fizing it. You know, I mean, I was pretty uh, nervous, you know, uh, <laughs> to make sure I could do a good job. So uh, what an honor it's been to really to tell the story and, and thank you for, you know, I want to say for, from Hudson for sure, but from me personally, thank you for trusting me. I mean, I uh, I worked my ass off to do a good job, so I'm glad you like it. Yeah, you, know, you did a great job. And, great job. You know, I, and yeah, I, I, I do trust you guys. Um, and uh, I look forward to doing, you know, more, uh, another project together, man. I'm working on it, you know. We're always ready for more abuse, you know. So, yeah. But my, my point was bringing that up is that you know, for those who maybe haven't read the book, um, that we did a lot of research before we started talking to Steve on these Zoom calls, uh, and so I I went out and consumed everything I could find. You know, old modern drummer interviews went through the archives, uh, read things on the internet, uh, tried to piece together the timeline. And of course, Steve read in old interviews with you about your childhood, and then as we put that all together, you know, the, it was it was really cool getting. Uh, you mentioned Phil Ramone. So we had access to some uh, older interviews that Rob had done, I think for the American Drummer Achievement Awards, Phil Ramone, Russ Teitelman. And so you, you get this whole tapestry of information, you know, uh, and then we had these Zoom calls. And then when we spoke to Tony Levin, you know, one of the really cool things he said at the end, um, and, you know, he, I used a lot of it at, at, to close the book because it was poignant to me what he was saying. Um, but he just thought so highly of you and, I was always really interested in when you came to New York and what you did. And, and he pointed out how hard you worked on your sound and your groove and everything coming from the stuff you guys were doing in Rochester. And um, that, you know, it, it's just amazing both he and Eddie Gomez to have them talk in such detail about your relationship um, and what they, you know, got what they get still out of playing with you. And uh, if anybody hasn't seen that in the book, it's really it's pretty special. I think I loved reading that Tony's Tony's uh, comment about that, how, how hard Steve worked to kind of, um, you know, to, to, to prepare himself to work in the studios and, 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 and do the kinds of records that he ended up doing, you know, that he so got called to do. When we first, when I first came to New York, I was living with Tony and his, his wife at the time in Yorktown Heights. And, um, uh, oh, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? When Tony? you were talking to New York and you were living together in Yorktown Heights. Oh, yeah. So when we, we get, Tony had been there for three years. I was in the army for three. And then he introduced me to, uh, to people that he had met. And, um, Mike Maneri was one of them. And Mike had a jingle company. We, he'd call me to do jingles, and I'd have to, you know, at the the studios had uh, they had bass drum and tom toms, but you had to bring your own trap case. And before I had a trap case, I had all my gear in like this bag, this big bag that Tony and I, Tony would take one side, and I would take the other, and we'd after from the parking lot we'd carry this shit to the studio together man i mean it was like and you know what it it never seemed we were never complaining it was always uh fun we were yeah. excited about what job we were going to do together you know we drove in together i mean it was like 
great times, great times for me. I would say if you find another member of your band that's willing to help you carry your drums crap into the studio or the gig, that's a special relationship. That's a lifelong friend right there, yeah. That's a keeper. That's a keeper. That's a keeper. Steve, I have to tell you that your daughter, Mary Beth, is watching and says hello. Oh, you're right. Tell her I love her. Wow. I sure will. And, and, and well, you just did. And, and uh, we all love Mary Beth. That's um, nice. It's a yeah, family it's, affair, Stefano. It sure yeah. is. It sure, sure. is. Um, you know, I just, uh, I, I loved reading so many of those stories. Like you, like you mentioned, you know, Tony, I think that's in there, you know, Tony helping you carry your trap case. And, uh, you know, I, I, I go back to, I'm going to just tell a quick story. My, my first um, experience with Steve, though, I didn't know it was Steve at the time was do the hustle. And I've told Steve this story and it's, it's probably a boring story to anybody else, but me, but the band that I was playing in at the time, 1975, we were in like junior high school or high school. And that was a big song on the radio. And my bandmates, the leader of the band wanted to learn it. And I, and I was adamantly, adamantly against anything that was disco. And I said, no way. We're not going to play. I don't want to play anything disco. And I finally gave in. I'd heard the song a few times on the radio and I just sort of dismissed it. I remember sitting at band practice and, and actually listening to the song and listening to what the drummer was playing. And I went, wow, okay, this is, this is actually going to be kind of fun because there's more to this than I thought. It's not just a straight, you know, four on the floor kind of thing. Um, in fact, it was really challenging and, and I couldn't play it the way the drummer who I later found out was Steve was playing it. And I, and I remember like being frustrated going like, Jesus, it's a simple disco song, but I can't for the life of me make it swing and make it groove and make it do, make it sound like the way this guy's making it sound. And the fills have such a great little twist to them. And um, I think it's a masterpiece, Steve. I really do. I think it's a, it's, it's a lesson in, and it's it's so common. I think it's a common theme in what you do. I mean, you play some really incredibly difficult things that you hear them right away and you go, there's no way in hell I can play that. But then you play some things that sound really simple. And then when you try to play those things that sound simple, you can't get close to it because it's just got that little gad twist to it. Um, so anyway, there's my my hustle story, which we'll we'll play in a little bit. Oh. I have a question that I, I realized I didn't ask. Um, maybe I asked, but I, I don't remember asking it. Um, Steve, when I'm going to switch gears a little to the Chick Corea um, stuff. Do you remember in the book, we tell the story of uh, recording like the Leprechaun and you'd said, you know, there was like uh, music stands with charts going around you, like, cause they were so long yeah. when on those charts, were they, um, were they like lead sheet style or did Chick have like ensemble figures written on them? Like oh, they were, Those were the piano scores. Oh. <clears throat> so they pretty much had everything on there. You know what I mean? Um, and I could sort of pick and choose what I thought should be, you know, brought out and what shouldn't be, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it was challenging and it was, uh, I, I mean, that's the one session where I think I, I used all of my, whatever I knew at the time came in handy. All, whatever, whatever studying I had done at Eastman, whatever, you know, however good my sight reading got, it was like I, I needed it for that session. And it was, 
And it was great, man. It was great. The thing, it, it, I've never played another one like that. Another session that was that, where the music was that intricate. And we were doing it live. Um, and, uh, yeah, there, I, I, you know, that was a special, it was a special album, The Leprechaun. Yeah, really. I remember Steve seeing you play at, I forget where it was. It was with Chick doing the three quartets record. And, you know, it was, it was like, you know, a good size stage. Your drums are obviously in, in the center of the stage. And I was looking and, and you were surrounded by music stands and the, the, like six or seven music stands. And then somebody came out and put all these, this chart. It, it was like a phone book going around. <laughs> and, and I said, no, there, there's no way he's going to read like, you know, 14 pages of music, you know, live like that. And, you know, it was, it, it was, you know, unbelievable. Michael Brecker. I mean, it, it was just a stunning performance. And you were like looking over the toms, you know, look, kind of trying to read the stuff and, and playing and just burning it down. You know, it was really, really, your, your reading chops. I, I don't, I, I know you, you did a lot of reading in, in, you know, at Eastman, but, you know, did did they improve as time went on? I mean, it looked well, like did. You could read like from the distance, you could read like this, you know, complex music. When I got when I got to New York after being in the army for three years, and then before that, being in in college for five, um, and in the army especially, I was in a band where they had arrangers and they were writing new arrangements all the time. So that's where I, you know. My my sight reading improved. It just kept on getting better and better. It's the type of thing with reading. The more you do, the better you get. You know what I mean? And uh, so, and back in those years, you know, sessions were still using charts. Mm. Um, so it was perfect timing for that. And then, you know, years as years went on, the sessions got more into like uh, lead sheets you know, uh, you know, um, it wasn't as involved as uh, the thing with the leprechaun because the leprechaun was like an orchestra thing, you know what I mean? So there were, a, you know, a lot of different uh, types. Of, there were a lot of musical uh, ideas taking place in the song itself, you know what I mean? Some orchestra kind of stuff, some blowing kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was just, it was a perfect time. That album was perfect time for me for, you know, how well I was reading. I don't, I don't read as well now because I, I don't do it as much, you know, but, uh, you know, reading is the type of thing with reading is it, it, it improves when you start doing it. You know what I mean? It gets, it all, it all comes back. So I, I was, uh, at the top of my game back then, you know. And when you just when you got to these sessions, Steve, you, would would you be able to maybe in one or two takes kind of run through a tune just reading the chart? You didn't. Yeah, you didn't, well, back in, you, yeah, back in those days, I mean, a lot of them were, you know, a lot of them were the sessions were ten to one, two to five. So you had, a, you know, you you had to get you know two or three songs down in in the thing. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't until. 
artists started blocking out windows of time. Mm-hmm. Now, where, where they stopped booking the, the sessions by the union schedule and they started booking it by the day that you started taking more time uh, on the, uh, on the individual pieces and, you know, mm-hmm. and where, and, and, you know, artists had, you know, budgets for albums so they could, they could be creative. And, and, uh, so yeah, it was a good time. Steve, yeah. you said you said Paul Simon was one of the early people you work with that would block out a day, right? Yes, he was one of the first ones. Yeah. Um, and, and and then yeah, and then more and more people, you know, like uh, in other words, like when I first got there, you, you know, the records were done. Like I said, the sessions were ten to one, two to five, seven to ten. Those were record dates, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then as artists became, as artists became more, uh, big, you know, like where they became more popular, you know, more people started blocking out times and doing albums where they spent a lot of time in the studio creatively with the band coming up with stuff. So that was another era in the seventies that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to mention too, there's a great quote from Phil Ramone where he talks about how I think maybe one of the first times that he worked with you, that that you worked on a session he was producing that you came in and you had immediately, he was able to get a, a great drum sound. You came in and like, took no time to get a great drum sound. And, you know, he, he mentions that back, like you said, back then it was like, if it was a three hour date, you had to get sounds quickly and piano, drums, everything. And, and that was, you know, one of the first um, experiences he had with you. And I'm sure it led to him having you do a whole bunch more sessions, you know, as you, he's the one that hired me to, to do, uh, to work with Paul Simon, you know, yeah, yeah. so it was a big one. That's interesting. What you said too, Steve, is that um, when we chose the songs and we went down the list, we tried to, you know, you mentioned that era, which is like sort of a golden era in New York with these sessions where you had to go fast. And then there's a lot of stuff documented in there in the song list where um, it was something where you played with people and you'd spent a longer time making up the parts. But then there's also your bands, the Gad Gang, the Steve Gad Band. And, um, you know, you it was really cool to see how you brought your voice you know, to bear in these different situations. I was asking you how you, you know, what about choosing the songs for the, the your current bands, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all about how, uh, the first thing is how they feel. I, I, I like things to, you know, have like a good feel no matter what, no matter what genre it is. It's like nice to lock it into so you can establish a good foundation and, 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 uh, so that's, you know, I, I can do that in my band, uh, you know, pick the songs. Um, I enjoy doing that, I, you know, and uh, the, the guys write. I, I'm not really, I don't really write, but, uh, you know, they write and I help, you know, come up with ideas for the form and maybe we need to put another section here, you know. I, I'm sort of, I'm okay at that stuff. So we, we all work good together, you know? 
Yeah. 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 I have one more, one more thing I want to say, John, if you don't mind. Saying yeah, I've, I've, come on. So just to give you a taste of like how cool this was when we worked on the book. So one thing I would, I said to Steve, and I'm going to ask him again now for enjoyment of this conversation. <laughs> so I had discovered, you know, the Leprechaun and all this, a lot of the more, we'll call it jazz fusion stuff that you played on Steve. Right. And then I got into the Gad gang. I, I wasn't, I knew about stuff wasn't as like versed on it, you know, at that time. And then I got the Gad gang records and um started it fell in love with him and uh i found it really compelling that you were playing what i would describe as like classic r&b and some blues and stuff and i asked i said wow like i heard you playing on all this complex stuff and then when you had a band that had your name on it it had these kinds of tunes you know can't turn you loose watching the river flow america the beautiful honky tonk and i asked you you know was that was that your favorite music is that the music you always wanted to play in a band uh, well, I I love all those songs, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, certain, like, I don't know, I, I you know, I sort of grabbed on to watching the rivers flow. I We recorded that uh, with with Joe Cocker, and Alan Toussaint uh, uh, produced the album. And uh, I fell in love with the song. And um, so that that became a thing. I mean, it just sort of, it's one of those songs that plays itself, you know, and, uh, and, and, or way back home. That's another one I play. I played with stuff and I've played it with every band since then. And it always comes out. It's a little different, um, interpretation, but I, I love the song, you know what I mean? I love that music. And, um, I love uh, the memories of people that I played it with and uh, and playing it with different people and and sharing that kind of groove and and uh, and their, you know, their take on how to play it. You know, it's I just those songs, are, I, I love them. And so that's a really good question, Joe. That was really good. Too. Yeah. You know, for, for, and for yeah. anyone that isn't familiar with stuff, you know, Doing this book got me deeper into listening to all the stuff records. I mean, the musical connection, Steve, in that band, especially, you know, obviously with you and T, um, it, it, you know, it's, it was so, so magical, you know, and then, and, and Cornell's playing. I mean, no one, no one played guitar or plays guitar and has the touch and the, immediate sound recognition like like cornell um way back home i mean he, you know it, it's such classic guitar parts and playing you know the all the music is just sensational so i just urge anybody whether you have the book or don't have the book you know you can get the spotify playlist link on the hudson website on on the product page for steve's book for the life a life and time cool. book there's a link at the bottom and you can copy it or you can just click <coughs> and, and you can listen to the whole you know i, I don't know it's a lot of song, a lot of songs <laughs> 30 40 songs on the on the playlist yeah. so um you know and obviously this stuff is included in there there's you know some magical music that that people oh. need to be aware of if you're not and if you are aware of it go back and listen to it again I uh, I I I learned a lot from playing and stuff, you know, and uh, I have a lot of great memories. I love all those guys. 
Can so, I um, can I can I play a, a stuff song that's that's it's not it's the, it's the stuff band, but it's Van McCoy do the hustle. Oh yeah, uh, should we play that? Do we need to dance, Johnny? We I want to see everybody dancing. I'll turn my camera yeah. off now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
remember we had we had a lot of fun on those sessions, you know, listening to playbacks and everyone be dancing and stuff. Those <laughs> did that yeah. session happen? Did the, the track, the basic rhythm track, come together quickly on that, Steve? Yeah, I think it did. You know, I think it did. I, um, yeah, because we were doing those, those sessions were booked like the other, you know, ten to one, two to five, three hour segments. So they had a certain amount they had to do in, in, in each time frame. So, yeah, they came together pretty quick. And you guys were all working together, you know, all the time anyway, so it just it must have just felt good right out of the box, right out of the gate, you know, just... It, you know, Gordon, Gordon Edwards sounds great. Oh, man. Doesn't he? Steve, when we so were... beautiful. We cover this a little bit in the book, but when you were brought together early on with T and Gordon and Cornell and those guys, you talked about how... You really wanted to make it them comfortable with your with your feel and your groove and everything. And you talked a little bit about um, some things in the book, like how how did you know they were getting comfortable with you? I mean, aside from like you know them saying, "Hey, it sounded great." Were you watching them for cues? Were you? Well, yeah, listening? I was watch T. Right? I watch T's foot. You know, all the time. You know, trying to lock in. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, Watch Gordon. Would would T be tapping his foot like all the time? I mean, T had a way of moving when he played that would you know let you know uh, what the groove was. You know what I mean? And yeah. and and I and you know so I paid a lot of attention to try to lock in and to just you know it wasn't to make them comfortable. It was to I mean I I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to. It was about making me uh, comfortable doing what I was doing to, you know, in their type of in music that they were more fluent in than I was at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I learned a lot just from listening to those guys and trying to play simple. And then when it was time to play, they give you a solo, you know, but when it was time to groove, if, you know, if you get some weird looks, if you did anything funny during the groove. (laughs) Well, you know, it's pre-click track, right? Yeah. Yeah. Had to be. I was just going to say just uh, on that particular song we just listened to, you got to put in some cool little things, but you never kind of stepped, you know, over the line, so to speak, Steve, in terms of like, making it too, but, but you got to put in some nice little tasty little things, you know, in, in certain places that lifted the song, you know, like those sections where you move to the ride symbol and, you know, you, you don't hear that on a, on a typical disco song. And I, again, I think that's what makes that such a hip tune because it's just starts swinging there when you start playing that stuff. Right. Could, could you hear, could you hear the keyboards when you were listening? Did you yeah. hear the, I, because I think I had one channel, but T's pl- playing on that it was like, it's a strong groove, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Always. And the yeah. guitar part is great, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, John, you, John, you mentioned, you know, I think one of the great lessons and one of the most amazing things about Steve's body of work is that, you know, especially in this age of, of, of internet drummers where people are playing a zillion notes and, and I never take away from anyone that wants to practice enough to play a zillion notes. I mean, that takes a lot of work, but the magic is Steve just always knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, instinctively, you know, it's, um, and you know, I was just going to, before I forget, I made a note about this too. You guys did a, a fantastic job talking about Steve's equipment over the years too, from like the early days till right now. And that's, I think that's always been for drummers, a big mystery. Like, you know, even, even for me, you know, like what was Steve using for cymbals back in those days? And, and certainly the drums, you know, the drums evolved the sound and, and what Steve was using in the early days to, you know, what he's using now. And I was just going to say, what's cool about, again, listening to that song, such an old song, there are those K hi-hats. So any, any drummer who sort of zone, you know, tunes into that stuff will hear that's those magical K hi-hats and that magical K ride on that, on that record that you hear later on Chick Corea stuff. You hear it on Paul Simon stuff, you know, you, you managed to use this, make the same equipment, Steve, work for everything you did. You know, you didn't yeah. have to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a sign of a, of a great musician right there, you know? No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Man. You Absolutely. know, we had so much, so much help and support, you know, uh, on the equipment side of things, you know, from you and Tony Formosa, who I don't know, Tony, Steve, how yeah. many years has Tony been, doing your drum stuff in New York. I mean, it's been doing it for, and he did was do, moving Eddie Gomez's bass. That's how Eddie, any Eddie introduced me to Tony. Yeah. You know? I mean, what that I, I think I knew Tony from like back in the, in the eighties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was unbelievably helpful and, and John, you know, on the symbol side, yeah, Tony, Tony Formosa is a good guy. Yeah. Good guy. His daughter, really? his daughter Melanie, is a sweetheart. I love her, and uh, and I mean she's a real bright star. You know what I mean? She's a yeah. she's a joy to be around, and uh, I love them both. That's fantastic. Joe Chester in there. Who else? Oh, yeah. the Fonz. The Fonz. The Fonz was there. It's Viper. The Viper. We got the Fonz and the Viper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about if I play another tune where, where you know, where I don't want to keep you guys here all afternoon, but I thought we'd kind of shift gears a little bit and play this song that is definitely a Steve Gadd signature song, Chucky's in Love, Ricky Lee Jones. And maybe, Steve, you can give a little commentary afterward on this one. Sure. All right, here we go. Oh.
the pool hall. Well, is it here? I look in the drugstore. Is it here? No, don't come here no more. Well, I tell you what, I saw him. He was sitting behind us down at the penitentiary. Russ Teitelman and Lenny Warnker were the produced that right. Um, that that yeah, I remember that session. I I don't I didn't remember how slow the song. That's pretty laid back, man. Oh man, uh, yeah, it kills me every time. And and just speaking personally, I remember like all, a whole bunch of songs like this, not knowing it was you, Steve, till later, like maybe until the early '80s when you sort of found stuff like that out. I guess maybe I didn't own the record or something. And, but hearing it on the radio and just going, God, this drummer, man, you know, and then realizing so many of these songs were you. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I, got, I was lucky, man. I was in the right place at the right time. And, and, uh, you know, what I hear in, in listening back to that now is like, you know, I, I, I was really, I'm glad that I got challenged by the groove, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I felt good about the pocket. And uh, and there was only one fill that was a little bit busy, and that was cool, man, you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize it only happened once. I, I haven't heard it in a while. But it was, yeah, it was just sort of an, enough, you know what I mean? You get your, wet your yeah. appetite, and then... Uh, but I mean, coming from a jazz background, if I hadn't been challenged before that by the groove, I could have, I, I might have tried to play the whole thing like a jazz thing. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. yeah. And uh, it's that but, discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I thank God I was challenged musically by what was going on in the studios in New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. Duh. And I'm glad because, you know, we can't, we, 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 there were some nice things that came out of that, you know? So and let me ask, to me, oh, go ahead, Rob. Say, uh, yeah. 
to me that, you know, your choice of like putting that rudimental feel kind of fill in there, you know, it just, it just, you went into your um, wheelhouse, you know, and it was just like a perfectly placed thing. It's just a real quick story. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When this record came out, I was a student at Drummers Collective, and Tommy Breckline was was a young stud living on Long Island. He, he did some teaching at the school, and he was the only guy at the time that could play that fill. So people <laughs> used to file it into his room and make him play it because no, <laughs> no one could figure out what was happening. You know? Oh, that's great! Yeah, <laughs> Tommy, play that, that fill. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's, not, it's an easy fill. It's not that hard once you, I mean, it sounds a little tricky, but once you, it, it flows really good, you know? Well, I was, two comments, Steve. That's the difference between you being the great disciplined drummer that you are and, and a hack like me. Cause if I, if I could have played that, I'd be playing it all throughout the song, <laughs> completely <laughs> fucking it up. But, uh, but I, I've always wanted to ask you, like, when you, did you, hear like a, a a rough of the tune like a demo and then come up with that or did did no that was just on the, the when we did it you just you just had that idea just to yeah just, back in those days they they you didn't hear anything before you got to this they people weren't making demos you know what i mean yeah yeah um you know they would maybe play it play it live on the piano so you could hear it but there wasn't for the it, most part you just heard it in the studio and you heard that groove in your head when you heard how the tune was going to go. You just, that just, it came to you. You just thought this is rather than well, just play. I mean, I had been, I, I had been practicing that hi-hat stuff, you know, like between takes. Yeah. You know, that's how, like, that was another way, well, a similar kind of thing for 50 ways. Yeah. Yeah. That was just one of the, one of the other things that I had been practicing, you know, like, and it worked out to be a nice fill, you know? Yeah, man. That's actually really cool because um, I was listening back to the Asia solo and Steve, you had like another different motif you had, like a hi-hat opening with a foot. And uh, it felt like that, like sometimes you'd have an idea you were doing between takes and then that was an idea that day that came out on the record you were making or something. Yeah, but it was deployed with with taste and I you you kept when we did the Zoom interviews for the book and today, you always talk about being challenged by the groove. And just, I'm looking at the comments that are coming in and everyone, you know, the foremost groove drummer of our time. For for the rest of us, do you think, how how can we work on our groove? Do we do we have to do it on the bandstand? Do we do it with a click at home? Do we do both? How, how, how do we do it? Whenever, you do it all the time. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just like what challenges um you know if you can if you can establish a, a a feel that you know that that can end up being the inspiration for anything else you do just because it's feeling so good down there you know what i mean yeah one of the um, things i always remember steve you telling me when i started seriously like getting back into playing about 10 years ago and you you'd say to me play it slow, play, don't try to play anything fast. And that, that really resonated with me because I think there's a tendency for people to, to try to do something fast, whether it's a, a rudiment. I find that just by playing slowly uh, and maybe putting a click on makes me feel more comfortable. You know? Yeah, I think it's important, you know, to, and, and you, when you work with a click, you can really 
you know, you can think in turn, you can play uh, an imaginary song, like think of a, of a feel for eight bars and then think of another feel that you have to, for another eight bars that you might have to play a fill into. And then you can see when, when those are the places at the change of sections where our, our body clock will start to rush because we get excited. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And, uh, so if you got a click that, you know, you can hear those things and, and, and be aware of them before they come. You know what I mean? Um, because it isn't luck. You, you know, it's, you have to, you, you, you have to know where these places are and, and, uh, and be aware of them. You know what I mean? That helps keep everything. Yeah. The last, yeah. the last track on, we talked about America the Beautiful, but on the first gag gang, was it, um, I can't stop loving you. Is that the last song on that? Um, just because I love both of those, I'll try to play to them sometimes. And it's after, you know, you're, you're sort of like, you know, two takes, you're like, <laughs> there's so much freaking space between every note. You know? but I I can't make it feel like you, but I, I mean, for anybody listening, like, I feel like my time got better just trying, you it know, does. like that's all you just have yeah. to try. And that's the thing. And you never stop trying. You know what I mean? And sometimes it really feels like magic. And other times you, you're, you get close to it. Um, but you just keep always keep trying. You know what I mean? I would so a couple of those. I'm listening to you and T, and I'm like, you guys are playing so far in the back. So I'm like, it's like, is there a game going? Like nobody wants to be the first guy in the pool, you know? It's like <laughs> so far in yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah. That's well I said. just want to say, I, I was, you know, watching down the the Chucky's in Love uh, chart, and you know, the little excerpt we had, and to me, I just for the record, one of the all time. Still to this day, goosebump, you know, drum intros is I, I flip the page and, and it just makes me smile. We belong together. Uh, yeah. You right. know, if, if if people aren't familiar with that tune and, and Steve's drum intro um, on that, you know, it's it's just um, an, an unbelievable, I don't know, eight bars or, you know, of, of, of music there that catapults this song to like, it just launches it into the atmosphere, you know? So I just wanted to say, Steve, it's, it's one of my favorite intros to any song, you know, that, that I, I, re, I remember that too. And it was like the, the, the trouble there was the, it was, you, you could feel one in a, in a different place than it really was. And, uh, and I'm glad that I understood that because I, I think it was a problem for some other people before. <laughs> and, 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 uh, um, man, for me, <laughs> it made you know. And Buzzy Feeton was the guitar player on that thing, and he was the he helped me because he snapped his finger and uh, uh, where the time where the back where where it was, and it made me realize that where I thought one was wasn't really one it was the one was anticipated and and you know but we don't really establish that until the fills come in right yeah so you're saying this now i, I think we got to reprint the book i don't think we got that in the book right uh-huh. I, I never understood where one was now i know it was buzzy's you know clicking <laughs> snap at his fingers well, the thing was, it's like everyone thought that the downbeat was where those where the piano notes were. Right. But they really were 
they really were the anticipation of the downbeat. It was like a displacement almost, right? That exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah. it was. That was that was the first displacement. I just that was the first gadamant right there. Nineteen seventy eight. Hey, we should give a shout out to Terry. I don't know Terry, but Terry yes. Blainan, you're the man that transcribed uh did such a great job transcribing all this music. Um yeah. Steve, I didn't tell you Greg Bissonette called yesterday. He just got the book and he actually left me a, a, a two lengthy um, messages um, on my phone, just you know, raving about the book and raving about the look of the of the music that is so important to you. I know, you know, we, we spent unbelievable amounts of time on on Gadamans, making sure everything looked exactly the way you wanted it. But um, yeah, Terry did an outstanding job, and, and Gr- Greg actually sent a video where he's pointing to the note heads going up and the bass drum <laughs> notes, the, you know, the, the, the stems going down. And he said, "This is the way it's supposed to be." You know, tell Steve this book is. I could totally he hear. Got him. All, he got all crazy. Okay. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> so I love Greg, man. I love. Oh, Greg. me too. Me too. If you, if you look at this notation, right? There's a. You know, you you need to put thought into notating something that busy, right? So if you look at this line, for instance, right here, you can see at a glance that Steve's splashing the hi hat on quarter notes, with because those stems are facing down, right? If if a note, if an engraver had connected all the stems up, right, it would it would be useful, you much harder to work on it because you'd have to look at it for a millisecond longer to understand what was going on with the foot, right? And so like most professional drummers I don't that I know can't stand looking at like all stems up notation. So so we we had a discussion, you know, first Terry and I, then we brought Robin and then we made sure Steve was on board. But all everything we do, you know, certainly Steve's playing, um, it's designed to make it the whole idea is the notation should make it easier to practice, even if it's super dense. So, you know, thought went into yeah. Not, we might not be the brightest guys in the world, but we did think about all of it. No, it, it goes to show you, you guys really thought of everything. Yeah, we yeah. thought about, we wanted the, well, I mean, I'm talking about Gadamans now, but, uh, you know, like we wanted the, we wanted the music to be, uh, to be friendly, you know what I mean? Not to be mm. scared, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. Uh, I like that, I Steve. remember the yeah. first time sending Steve a proof of some of the music, you know, I think Joe and I were both, you know, really a little nervous because he was so um, outspoken and, and, you know, particular (laughs) for very good reasons um, about Gadamitz. And, you know, I mean, we we drove this poor fellow crazy that was doing all the all the hand notation. We didn't use any computer, uh, you know, for any of the Gadamitz stuff It was all done by hand. But we were, you know, really relieved when Steve saw the, the music in in the life and time book and, and, you know, liked it and kind of signed off on it. Cause we were like, Oh no, what if he doesn't like it? We got to go back to, you know, it's going to be another six months, you know, <laughs> but um, it was good. It was great. And, and also I just want to, so Terry Branham for sure, big shout out. And also I just would be remiss in not mentioning Mike Hoff, our designer. Yeah. Just, I thought did a superb job laying out the book, making it, user-friendly, you know, there's a lot in there, you know, there's a lot of words and photographs and, you know, it's a real puzzle that he put together. Yeah. Um, you know, he laid out the cover, he picked the fonts, you know, um, 
So yeah, look at that. You got a special one, John. I got a special one. No, I yeah, it's 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 laid out beautifully though. Seriously, it's it yeah. Really is. John, Mike did a, a, a fantastic yeah. job. You have a pretty great team. Um, I'm just so proud of everybody. You know, I drove them hard. They yeah, think we were done. It's like, okay, we're finished. No, no, we got to get one more interview. You know, we got to get Eddie Gomez. You know, we, <laughs> we got to cover this a little more. We need, we need a few more photographs. They were cursing me out. I know under their breath, yeah, but I think they, every- all, they all, they all, you know, stepped up to the plate, man. Yeah. 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 I, I, I couldn't be happier with the team and, and, and everybody's effort, including yours, Steve. I remember, you know, a couple of yeah. nights you'd call up and say, you know, I'm reading, the bio section, and you think I gave enough credit to my grandmother? You know, she was really important in my life. And I'd say, you know, let me read it again in the morning, and I'll call you tomorrow, and we can talk about, you know, the section with your grandmother moving when you moved into her house, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And you, another night you called one night late, you said, did I give enough credit and talk enough about my brother? Because he was obviously really important to me, but we, we, we grew up together playing and dancing. I just want to make sure – you know, that, that, you know, we talked about him enough. <laughs> so that's the kind of detail I want everyone to know that Steve looked at this book with. So, you know, it was special and, and is special. That's, and yeah. thank you for that. It was a, that's, a, um, an honor to do that. And especially since, you know, I, I feel like we were a little better set up to do it, Rob, because um, the first book we did that was sort of like this was with Neil Peart, right? And that was, that was about, a specific thing was about his touring career, but then we did the book with Stuart Copeland. And that was the first time that Stuart really, we told his life story, like the early part of his life story. And so I'm glad that I had to got those two projects under my belt before we did this one, because this time this is truly, you know, to, to write a biography is, is a huge responsibility. And uh, so I'm glad we, we were ready, you know, at this, at this point. And I, I wanted to say one last thing about the notation. Um, something else that was so great to talk to Steve about was, and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but you always feel like sometimes when people lay out notation on a computer, whether it's a composer or a drummer, they don't make it so that the way it's broken up to your eye matches the music, right? Which is a big thing for me, right? Yeah, it's, it, uh, the computer thing, it's just hard to, to to know where everything starts and stops. I mean, on the computer thing, it really it starts on the upper left hand corner and ends on the at the end. And to try and if you look away and try to find your your way back when you look back to the music, there's it's just it, it, it's generic. You know what I mean? It doesn't have any no soul to it. And, uh, and the handwritten charts, you know, they're, they're, they were done back in the day to help you. Be, you know, you could take a look at a, a three page chart and, and, be, you know, and because of the way they marked the signs and the repeats and they had the, the correct amount of bars on each staff. So you, you know, so you could, you did, you could look at a staff and know that there was going to be, there were eight bars, and you didn't have to count every bar. You could sort of, you know, go down and start looking ahead, knowing where you were in the eight-bar phrase, you know. So, uh, but computer things, they don't help. They're, they're hard for me to read. You know what I mean? First of all, my you know, your eyes get, your, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. 
And that stuff just sort of like runs in together. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if you – do you find it to be that way? I, I don't know. I mean I guess for more of my career I've been looking at it and I don't mind it. But I, in the in in A Life in Time, we definitely made it so it was only four bars to a line. And so the notes are like separate from each other enough that you could that you could do it. I mean yeah. that you could like parse it and like understand it when you're looking at it. Right. Yeah, I think if you it's a, it's so important to have the the amount of bars on a staff because then you can get into a, a way of reading and looking ahead and going back. You know, if they start putting all different amounts of bars on on a, on a line, it's it's just gets confusing. You know what I mean? It's yeah, and you can't take your eye off the chart because oh, you know yeah, the line has seven bars and the next one has eight bars. It's like yeah, it's crazy. You got you it's know. Just like- this is like when we were writing a book. I miss this. We got to do this like, you know, just do it anyway. Even though we're not writing a book, you know? Uh, hey, I wanted to play uh, at least one more, maybe two more songs before we wrap it up. And this song, I I want to say, um, we talked about Asia, Steve, you and I once before on a separate uh, show that we did, a track talk ep- episode. And we've I know it's covered in great detail in the book. Um, so I hope no one is upset that we're not going to, play Asia right now, but my understanding is the next song I'm going to play is the session you were brought out to LA to record, which was You Make Me Feel Like Dancing with by Leo Sayer. You were in LA to do that. And then Donald or maybe Gary Katz or, or the or the the Steely Dan guys, Walter and Donald, knew you were in LA and invited you down to to record Asia. So I thought this would be kind of a the song that you were brought out to LA to do. And you can hear, I certainly won't say similarities between the two songs, but what you're playing, I mean, the, the drums sound very similar to me. Let me just, I'll tell you something about this, this uh, recording, like they, you know, Richard Perry was producing. And, uh, and they, had a, they had already cut, did a rhythm section track that I thought was great. It sounded unbelievable with James Gadsden. Mm, that's right. Richard, yeah. Well, Richard Perry wanted there in that one part of the song that we're dancing, dancing, where he wanted something different there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, it reminded me that the groove, that, that part of the song of, of like, sort of like a Gene Krupa kind of, same yeah. thing feel that's what it reminded me of and and i did that and that was the thing that was what he was looking for in that section you know what i mean mm-hmm. so uh, uh you know um but man when i heard james gadson do it you know the the thing it sounded on the groove was great i just tried to copy his groove and and that's put that other section in so it worked out good that's that's great, yeah. James Gadsden, yeah, man. All right, well, here we go. You make me feel like dancing.
Yeah, that little oh. Tom Tom part. You know, that's it's amazing. But it did, it really did remind me that section of of the sing 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 feel. So that's yeah. So that's I just you know it's amazing the way it works. One thing triggers another, and uh, and in that situation, it worked out good and it was all right. So whole, you just you were just in the studio, Steve. You heard the basic tune and. You, you just said, let me try this part there. That That's the way it's just organically. Yeah. That he wanted something different in that section. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And that's what it just sounded like a sing, sing, sing feel. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I so, think I know. Ex- yeah. 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 So that's where like, you know, it, that section re- reminded me musically of another period Mm. of time and uh and where i i just went for it and it worked you know but what you played throughout the rest of the song during the verses and and uh you know i mean it's just some of the most masterful and you know again i can't help but as i'm i said it sort of awkwardly before the song but i guess the best way to describe it is it's why producers artists love you so much is you you bring you you play the perfect part for every song. I mean, it's just the most perfect. I that 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 to me is like that, that song is some of the greatest drumming ever. I think, and and people watching seem to agree. I mean, it's oh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate. One guy commented, "I give up. Who wants to buy my drums?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I you know. No, that's not, not what we're trying to do here, man. No, I, I, yeah, I know. No, I, I think it's, I think it's very inspiring for people. And, uh, you know, I just, I, be, before we close out, I want to make sure that Rob and Joe, um, if you want to talk about how people can get the book, I think it's pretty simple, right? Hudson music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. It, or they could drive over to Steve's house. He has them in his <laughs> garage. He's, you know, having Carol are out there every day. They got like little hats on and they're, you know, they got those little belts with that make change. Yeah, little too. change. Yeah. yeah. They got a little thing going. <laughs> uh, Stefano, uh, you want to talk about, you know, I, you, you know, you're a hard man to, uh, I, I wish I had your mileage to use for like a free flight, you know, the last, Two months. It's amazing your schedule. I, I I don't know how you do it, but do you want to mention any of the things you've done lately or or coming up? Um, I I did a an album in Germany. Uh, Will Lee was on it with uh, this keyboard player Simon Oslander, Oslander, and uh, man, he wrote some great songs. He's a he's a you could tell he likes Richard too. He likes Richard T a lot, and uh, I, I just, I, I uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, there's another little trio that uh, two guys from Copenhagen uh, that we do things together. You know, uh, Michael Blicker and Dan Hemmer. So we're going to be doing some touring, um, and uh, my own band. You know, we're going to Japan in in a week for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be out with uh, with James Taylor later on this year. Um, and weren't you just in the UK doing uh, something oh, with yeah, the, did, some guitar player? I did something with David Gilmore. <laughs> oh, and, and uh, which was was fantastic. I loved it. I never had met him before, and it was really. Uh, 
a lot of fun. Yeah. Good, great music and uh, enjoy. That's going to be fun to hear that. Well, guys, before we close out, should we play one more song? We. What about what about America the Beautiful? You know, I couldn't I couldn't find it, Steve. I have um, it. You have it. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. You want, let me see if I can get you guys to hear. This, if this doesn't work, then play Lenore. But I, did you ever hear America the Beautiful? John? I'm sure I have, Steve, because I, I think I have the CD, but I don't have it in my library. From here and now, you said, right? Yeah.
Wow, man. That's not an apropos close. I don't know what is. There, there's no better song to close out with that than that. Wow. Right? I feel like I good went for, to church. Good for the yeah, soul, Stefano. Thank you. Thank you. It's Thanks, good guys. for the soul. Thank you, Steve. Well, guys, hang with me, if you would, for just one more second. We'll, we'll say goodbye to everybody. I want to thank everybody for watching today, and I want to give a big hand to Rob Wallace, Joe Bergamini, and returning champion, the one and only Steve Gadd. Uh, I love you guys, all you guys so much. Thank you for being here today with me. And um, everybody, if you don't have this book already, go out and get it. You have to get this book. It's just so great. It's so great. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you soon. Happy New Year. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year, everybody. everybody. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. All right, well, that's my show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give it a like. Leave me a comment. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. And the podcast is available on all the podcast platforms, so download it. And remember, no drummers are ever harmed on Live From My Drum Room or Track Talk. And drummers, when in doubt, leave it out. All right, again, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again real soon. See ya.